Thank you, Roy. Good morning. Welcome to Melbourne City Avenue Church. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, this place might seem a bit confusing to you because it doesn't look like a church. You had to wait for someone to let you down, uh, let you in downstairs in the building. You took the lift up here to the 10th floor. And here you are in what seems to be an office space. We've, we've tried to convert it, but, you know, it's, it's an office space. But to me, this place is a miracle. You see, five years ago, we started with the seven of us. And um, you might recognize some of us. Um, that's Micah there, the little baby. Um, you see James and Galen, uh, Roy, myself, Sam, Michael, and the very far left, that's Jody. Jody used to be uh, with us, but then she moved, um, she moved, and she's actually in the U.S. And I'm going to talk about her later. But um, the seven of us, five years ago, um, wanted to start a church in the city, but we didn't have any money. And we didn't have a venue. It takes a lot of money to rent a place in the city. When we looked into it, um, on average, this is five years ago, it's probably more now, they were asking for $500 minimum for a one-day rental. So if times that by 52 weeks, that's a lot of money. We didn't have it. So we prayed a bold prayer. We said, God, give us a free venue in the city. Amen. A few days after we prayed that prayer, um, Roy met up with someone that he knew from Melbourne because Roy had Bible worked here as a missionary um, in, in Melbourne before. So there was someone who saw him again and said, hey, how have you been? Let's catch up for lunch. And they were just talking. And the gentleman named Derek said, hey, do you, do you need a, a place to start your church? And Roy said, yeah, yeah, we do. And he said, you know, I've got an office space in the city. Would you like to have a look? And Derek thought, Sure, I'll be polite. And he's imagining cubicles. Um, and so then, uh, you know, they come up to the 10th floor. The lift doors open. And Derek Rippingill leads Roy through the conference rooms and then to this meeting room, to the lunchroom and the kitchen. And Roy's getting very excited because it's exactly what we needed. Perfect um, amount of space, storage here, um, you know, perfect for the children's rooms and for Bible study groups and to have potluck or, you know, little nibbles in the back. And so Roy turned to Derek and said, how much? And Derek turned to him and said, don't worry about it. He said, Roy, people like me who have the money, are looking for people like you who have the vision to help God's cause. And so was this a coincidence or was this providence? You see, for us, it was a game changer. At that time, we were wondering, are we, are we going to be able to do this or should we just pack up and go back to the U.S.? But at that moment, we knew that God had a plan for us here, that God had a plan for this church. And so here we are five years later, and a little over five, five years now. And did you know that we have, um, we have uh, not over 98 people on our contact list? Those are people who come to our church, come to our small groups, or in Bible studies, or in uh, very close contact with this church. 98 people. And that's not counting all the people who we have impacted and who have moved to other places, um, etc., that is all possible, those nearly 100 people, because of what happened five years ago 
So every time you walk into this space, I want you to remember that this place was an answer to prayer and that this place is the evidence of God. You see, God does not always reveal himself in lightning bolts and thunder and cloud messages in the sky or dreams and visions. Sometimes he reveals himself to us in the everyday, in the sequence of events that seem like coincidences or chances to us. But if we stopped and reflected, we would see the invisible, that God is orchestrating circumstances and people and events to reveal himself to us. And that's the case in the book of Esther. I don't know how many of you have read the book of Esther, but Esther is one of the books in the Bible that um, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther really didn't like. (laughs) And there's a reason for it. And there's a reason that for the first 700 years of church history, not a single commentary was written on the book of Esther. Why was that? Well, one of the reasons could be that the book of Esther is one of the few books in the Bible, there's one of two, that do not mention God at all. In the entire book, not only is God not mentioned, there is no mention of prayer, angels, dreams, or any religious practice. In fact, if you replace the word Jew in the story of the book of uh, Esther with any other ethnic group, then it would seem like a completely secular story. But the interesting thing is that even though the name of God or any of the religious practices are mentioned, when you read the book of Esther, it is so evident that God is working. The book of Esther has, uh, is named after the queen, uh, Esther, the main character. She was a Jewish orphan who becomes a queen in uh, 479 BC, but she keeps her Jewish heritage a secret. And the idea of hiddenness is a theme that is found throughout the book. So Esther, um, in Hebrew, actually means hidden. And, and that's a theme that you'll see throughout the book. Not only does she keep her heritage a secret, but um, she keeps the fact that her uncle, Mordecai, who works for the palace, um, is related to her. She keeps that hidden. Also, there is um, the bad guy, Haman, who really hates Mordecai. And in order to kill Mordecai, he actually devises this whole plan to annihilate, annihilate all the Jews. But he keeps that intention hidden from the king. And he also tries to ultimately hang Mordecai on this huge gallows that he's planning to, he's, he's built. And he plans to impale Mordecai on it the next morning. So he goes to the king and he's planning on asking the king for permission to kill Mordecai. And I want you to look at this example. And as you read um, this passage, I want you to see how, whether this is coincidence or provenance. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so that it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai exposed the plot of Bithania and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition do we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Just then... Who is that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So so Haman came in and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? 
Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? And so then he thinks of the best possible um, answer. He replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. And let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse and have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, said the king. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said. For Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing you have suggested. Can you imagine there Haman was trying to get the king's permission to hang Mordecai? But that very night, the king can't sleep. And he happens to read, have read to him the records that reveal that Mordecai had saved his life, but that nothing had been done for him. Coincidence or provenance? When Mordecai challenges Esther with the task of going to the king to plead for her people, Esther says, but I might die. I'm risking my life to take this chance. And he says something that has become an iconic phrase today. He says to her, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. You see, Mordecai understood that Esther was queen not by coincidence, not because she was the most beautiful woman, not because she was the most charming person, but because God wanted her to be queen for such a time as this. Coincidence, according to definition, in the, in the dictionary, is a remor remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. In other words, random, unrelated chance. Providence, on the other hand, is foreseeing care and guidance of God. It's from the root of pro, which is before, and vid, to see, where we get video, right? In other words, God sees before, and he answers before we call. When I was visiting my family uh, in the U.S. in November, I went to my sister's church. Uh, my brother-in-law is also a pastor, so I was there. And, of course, you know, my brother and my sister are busy going around talking to everybody. So I was sitting alone at the potluck table, and uh, there was this young man who came up to me, and he said hello, and I um, said hello. And he said, you don't know me, but I know who you are. And I said, okay, interesting beginning to this conversation. And he said, I've seen a sermon that you preached all night. Five years ago, I said, oh, okay, which sermon was that? <laughs> and he told me that it was a sermon I preached about a trip that I had made um, out of Los Angeles airport flying to Michigan. And he asked me, do you still carry books when you travel? And then the memory of that story flooded back to me. And um, back then, I used to take books when I, when I went on travels, when I was single and didn't have, like, two kids and 500 luggages to take. Um, I used to take these books, these sharing books, these, these little books about Jesus, um, little books on hope and, and, and peace. And I used to pray in the morning, Lord, um, on my trip today, if there's someone that um, needs this book, please help me to be able to give it to that person. And... Um, one day I was flying out of LAX and I was driving to the airport and as usual when you go to Los Angeles, huge amount of traffic. 
So it takes a, an hour longer to get there than I had even planned. Get to the airport and I had missed a flight. So then I line up with everybody else to try to get a new ticket. Now this queue was so long. This is not the actual queue, but you all know airport queues, right? And there I was in queue and for over 45 minutes, this queue did not move. I hadn't stepped even just one centimeter. We I were just standing still. Now what happens when you are all stuck in that situation is you, you start to commiserate. And so, you know, the person standing next to me and I started looking at each other, be like, can you believe this? Right? So he and I started talking, you know, very, very, uh, he, he was on a business trip, um, in his, you know, mid forties perhaps. And, um, for the first hour, a lot of small talk, but by the second hour, we started to get to know each other a bit better. And I found out that, um, just a few weeks before, just two weeks before this trip, his son had been murdered by a random act of gang violence, completely just um, out of the blue. And so this was the first time back at work for him. This was his first business trip. And he was telling me that actually was quite incredible, he said, because on his way back, um, this he was heading headed to San Francisco, and so this was his layover. Um, and for some reason, his flight got delayed out of Texas. And so there he was trying to get a new ticket to San Francisco. And he said that it was amazing that when he boarded the plane in Texas to come to LA, that as he entered the plane, you know how you pass by the lucky first class passengers, that he recognized Senator uh, John Kerry in, in sitting um, in the first class. And so then um, he said, this is my chance. Because at that time, in the government, in the U.S., there was a bill about gang violence that was in debate. And so he quickly said, Senator John Kerry, can I just take a moment? And my son has just been murdered two weeks ago by a random act of gang violence. Can you please vote on behalf of this bill? And they were able to talk at length about it. And then by the time he got to his assigned seat, he said, you know what? The person sitting next to me on the plane was a grief counselor. And so... And the plane was delayed. It was sat on the runway for a while. He said, so for the next three hours, I got free grief counseling. And he's telling me this, and I, I could sense God telling me, this is it. This is the moment. So I took a deep breath because, believe it or not, I'm quite shy. And so then um, I took a deep breath, and I looked at him, and I said, do you know the third person you've met today? Do you know what I do for a living? Because I hadn't yet told him. And he said, no, no, what do you do? And, he, and I said, I'm a pastor. And I have a book here that I prayed this morning. God, help me to give this book to somebody who needs hope. And the book was about healing and finding peace after heartbreak and suffering. And as I said that to him and, and I, you know, put the book out, I don't know if he's going to take it or not. Here's this guy, you know, wealthy businessman. He just started crying. And I said to him, I think someone cares about you very much to line up three people to talk to you today. And he took the book and he said, crying, tears streaming down his face in the middle of the airport, right? He said, today I believe that there is a God. And he asked me, what, what church do you pastor? And I told him, and he said, hey, when I get to San Francisco, I'm going to look up an Adventist church. And just as I was about to, to ask for his contact details so I could you know, keep in touch with him, an airport agent 
I think it was someone in uniform, suddenly came out of nowhere, tapped him and said, sir, come with me and took him away. Now, we had been standing here there in that queue by this point three hours. As soon as that agent took just him away, no one else took him away, <laughs> um, the queue started moving. And within 10 minutes, I had rebooked my flight. Coincidence or providence? I'll let you decide. The truth is, it's all about perspective. God is invisible. So we can only see him with eyes of faith. Even when he was present with humanity and earth, tangible, right, visible, living and breathing and eating amongst people, people didn't see him still. In fact, when he first started his ministry, John the Baptist, who was preparing people to, to meet the Messiah, he said, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Throughout Jesus' ministry, people saw miracles that he performed, but still doubted. They heard the amazing stories and the truths that were coming out of his mouth, but they still doubted. The disciples even heard Jesus say, hey, I'm going to be killed, but in three days, I'm going to resurrect. But they were still shattered when he died on the cross. And when the women came to the disciples and said, Jesus is alive, they still didn't believe. In fact, two of his followers were walking away from Jerusalem, completely brokenhearted, having given up all hope, going back home to Emmaus. And Jesus comes and walks next to them, and they don't know that it's him. It's an incredible story found in Luke chapter 24. Read it sometime. And it isn't until they invite him into their house and he sits down to break bread with them. And it isn't until he takes the bread and breaks it and hands it to them and they see the scars on his hands that they realize it's Jesus. Sometimes we talk about God. Sometimes we are in the house of God. But we can miss him. Unless we're willing to see that God has died for us personally and extends that bread of life to each of us personally. Until we have the eyes of faith to believe in Jesus and what he has to share, sometimes we see providence as coincidence. The Greek words used when John the Baptist said, he's among you, he's in the crowd right now. That same Greek um, phrase is used by Jesus when he, after his resurrection, is leaving his disciples and he says, I've, given, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. Can you say that with me? I am with you always. Okay, one more time, guys. I am with you always. Not sometimes. Not only when we do what pleases him. But always. Jesus says, He's with us always, even to the end of the age. And he uses that same Greek phrase that John had used when he said, he's amongst you, but you don't recognize him. Jesus is saying, I'm amongst you. I am with you always. Whether we recognize him or not. 
Look back at your life when you were incredibly lucky. Was it luck or was it God? When an opportunity came, was it chance or was it God? When you met someone, was it fate or was it God? And when the events worked out in your favor, was it coincidence or was it providence? I want to challenge you to reflect on your personal history and see the hand of God. And when you begin to see that God has been in your past, you begin to see that God is in your present. The truth is that sometimes we get so bogged down by our present challenges and difficulties and, and discouragements, like those disciples on the way to Emmaus, that we don't know Jesus is with us. And we might feel like, well, if God is with us, then why are we going through this difficulty? If God is with me now, then, then why are all these horrible things happening? But remember Queen Esther? She was an orphan. Her parents were killed in battle. She was living as an exile in a foreign land. She had no choice in being taken to the palace. She had no choice in being married to the king. And now Haman was threatened to kill her and her people. She could have said, how could all these bad things be happening? God must not be real or God does not care. But instead, she realized, God has put me here for such a time as this. God is orchestrating. And in the big picture, God will bring about justice. In the big picture, God will bring about salvation and restoration and healing. And so because she saw that God had led her past, she faced her present with courage and conviction, knowing that her future was certain. But you know, she spent three days fasting. And like I said, the Bible doesn't mention that she was praying. It doesn't mention those religious terms. But I imagine that she was praying while she was fasting during, during those three days. And she asked everybody to pray for her as well, to, to, uh, to fast with her as well during those three days. Sometimes if you want to see the invisible, you have to slow down. You have to take the time to connect with God and to ask to be able to see him leading, to surrender your life to him, to let him guide you. You know, when that young man um, at my sister's church reminded me of that sermon and reminded me of that story, I thought to myself, man, I've forgotten that I used to live with that kind of expectation of God. I've gotten so busy, you know, when every time now when I travel, I do travel with so many people and things that I'm not thinking and looking around to see what the opportunities are, what divine appointments God has for me. But you know what? Despite the fact that I'd forgotten, God gave me another gift. Uh, right before I was about to go to the U.S. in November, um, a friend of mine, remember Jody in that picture of the seven people who started the church? So Jody had five years ago introduced me to um, a friend of hers. And that friend became a really good friend of mine. So even though Jody went back to the U.S., um, my friend, uh, her mutual friend, and I became really close. And I was spending some time with her right before I, w I left to go to the U.S. the day before. And she, as I was leaving, she said to me, by the way, she said, can you do me a favor? You see, my friend has uh, a son who, is, who has a disability. And so she said, I need a mobility chair for him. And in Australia, it costs $8,000. 
But in the U.S., I found a used one on eBay for $500. But they won't ship it to Australia. They will only ship it within the U.S. And she said, can, you, can I have it shipped to your sister's house? And could you bring it for me? And I was happy to do so because, hey, if I can help her, that, that's a huge um, thing I could do. So I said, sure, no problems. Here's the address. Um, have them ship it to me. Now, I was going to be in the U.S. for three weeks. And so um, I was there, as you know, for my sister's um, first baby. And so the first week, you know, we're all excited, getting ready. And then the baby came, but um, there was a lot of complications. Um, 35 plus hours in the delivery room. And um, the baby ended up having to stay in the intensive care for a week. Um, my sister needed blood transfusion. It was a very difficult time. So my mind was, you know, all over the place. But once the baby was okay, discharged, came home, I remember the chair. And I thought, oh, it hasn't come yet. It's been two weeks. I hope it comes before I leave. And I started to get a little bit anxious. So I started to um, ask, hey, do you know when they sent it? And there was a lot of back and forth. Oh, they said they're not going to ship it anymore. They decided the shipping is too expensive. They're not going to sell it to me. And then finally she messaged me saying, they sent it. And uh, let's, uh, ho let's, I hope it gets there before you leave. Now, Friday came around. I was leaving on Sunday. And I was very anxious, and I was praying, God, please have this come before I leave. Otherwise, it's going to sit here, and nobody will be able to bring it, or if we'll have to ship it somehow. Um, right before Friday sunset, they delivered it. But when it came, it was in this ginormous box that was almost a meter long and a meter wide and a meter deep. It weighed 42 kilos. Now, Qantas Airlines has a limit of 35 kilos for a single item. So even if I paid like a $700 excess fee, they would not let me take this on the plane. I couldn't even fit it into the car because it was so big. So I had to tell my friend the bad news. I, I don't think I can bring this. I'm really sorry. Can I ship it or... And she started to break down because she, she, was, she really needed this chair as soon as possible. And shipping would take two to three months. And when we tried to look at shipping options, it was going to cost thousands of dollars. And UPS wouldn't ship it because, again, UPS has a limit of 35 kilos. Apparently, that's the limit for um, any kind of thing being over a certain amount. They just don't do it. So I started to panic and I was praying, but I was very anxious of how can we solve this? How can we, how can we get this chair over to Melbourne? Well, all of a sudden, I remember my friend Jody. Now, I remember my friend Jody had moved back to the U.S. Of all the places that she could have moved back to in the U.S., she happened to move back to a place 20 minutes away from my sister's house. Now, she happened to have her parents-in-law from Melbourne visiting her for three months. I called her because I thought, well, at least I could get the box to her because she knows this friend and maybe she can arrange the shipment or something because um, I just didn't know how my sister with a newborn baby could handle this, this issue. So I called Jody, and it so happened that Jody's parents-in-law, who had been there for three months, were flying out that night, uh, that Sunday, on the same Qantas flight that I was flying out. So all of a sudden, 
the heavens opened and I thought, okay, well, if there's three of us, somehow, maybe we can divide this item into three parts and then we can take it. And then, it, and then I found out that Jody's father-in-law has silver status thanks to all his flying around the world. And so then all of a sudden the chances got greater that this is possible, we can do this. And of course it happened that Jody's father had a huge pickup truck that could take this ginormous box to their house to try to take it apart. And it so happened that the very next night they were going to come to my sister's town to attend a Christmas parade. Anyway, so the next day they came, they picked it up, they took it home, they opened the box, and um, thankfully the chair actually is meant to be taken apart in two and folded, and so they were able to do that. And by the time they did that and put it in two separate boxes, they said, we're very confident this will work. Now, I still had a big knot in my stomach because I was just so, so, this was so important and I was so worried about this. And my sister, sleep-deprived as, as she was with a newborn, turned to me calmly as, as can be, and this is why my sister is my, my hero, and said, Jinha, don't worry about it. This is not a coincidence that you're all flying on the same flight. You know, any other airport, any other time, anything else, it wouldn't have worked, but you're on the same flight out. It's going to work out. This is clearly God. He's got this. Don't worry about it. I still worried about it, though. <laughs> and um, until they came and picked me up, we, we got to the airport, and there was no queue at all. We were able to check in, and, you know, I don't know. We, we prayed right before we got to the counter. Um, Jody's, Jody's parents-in-law are both pastors as well. And so three of us were like, okay, we're going to put all our powers together for prayer and ask God to, to help us get this over to Melbourne. So we prayed. We got to the counter. It was oversized, you know, even though we divided it. And they said, yep, just take it over to oversize. No fee, no charge, just a bunch of fragile stickers on it. No issues. Merry Christmas, they said. And so then Roy came to pick me up. And because there were three of us, we were able, because if it had just been me, I had my bags and box. I wouldn't have even been able to push it along. But because there were three of us, we each had our three carts with all the boxes and all the luggage, pulled it through, got to Melbourne. Roy picked me up in the van, and we got the chair to my friend. And I just felt God convicting me, you know, during that whole flight, you know, 16 hours on the plane, I was so happy because not only did I know that God cared for me, but it was so clear that God cared for her and her son. And I felt God telling me, you need to tell her that, that I did all this for her, that months before you booked your tickets, months before you planned your trip, I knew everything that was going to happen, and I put it together so that you could help this family, so that you can tell this family how much I love them. So again, I took a deep breath, and when I, when I got to see her, I, t I told her that. She's not, a, she's not Christian, but I told her, you know, we've been friends all these years, and, I, and I, I never talked to her about God. She knows I'm a pastor, but I never talk about it. But I told her, I believe that this was not coincidence. I believe that this is providence that all of this worked out so that we could bring this chair for you free of charge. She doesn't believe, but maybe one day as she reflects back, she will see the invisible. And maybe one day when you slow down to pray and reflect, you can see that God has always been there for you 
and that God will always be there for you. That maybe that day can be today. Maybe this afternoon you can spend some time connecting with God, reflecting on your history, reflecting on your present, and hoping for the future. Aboriginal pastor Dr. Gundara said this, In our experience, God is not somewhere floating over Australia. Rather, God is revealed in the life of the people. God in Christ is with all human beings, especially those who are poor, outcast, and threatened. Perhaps as we spend time with the people around us, especially the people who are in the margins, we can see Jesus in the midst of them. I pray that as you experience the miracle of recognizing God's presence in your life, that you will experience the blessing of seeing providence instead of coincidence in the lives around you as well. May God bless you.